Ruby's pop-up peep show believes that people are pleasure. Ruby Entertainments is your go-to sexy party people for birthdays, bachelor or bachelorette parties on Vancouver Island, home of Ruby's pop-up peep show, the world's first traveling peep show. Plan your next destination celebration in Victoria, BC, where we take the fuss out of fabulous. Established since 2008, Ruby's carefully curated team of party professionals know how to put your guests at ease with ease. Effortlessly effervescent, we are proud to say that referrals and repeat business are our bread and butter. Offering dazzling performances from mild to wild, we provide everything from burlesque to strippograms, girl-on-girl duos, and the wonderfully wet and wild Babes in Toyland. Book your next event and include Ruby's pop-up peep show. That's right, you can add on our mobile peep show, showcasing performers in a sexy circus-style caravan that comes to you. Check out www.rubyentertainments.com and our Instagram, at Ruby Peep Show, and paint the town Ruby today. Welcome back to another episode of Stripped by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kimchi, on stage. Um, you can actually find me on stage next week. Yay! Finally, I am back to working at the club. Um, I will be at Whiskey Richards on the 28th and March 2nd. If you want to catch me there, uh, you cannot buy dances there because it is a strange situation. It's actually not a strip club, but they're trying to make a strip club-esque situation happen there. But you can buy some merch for me, come hang out and uh, chill with me in my civilian clothes because that's what we're allowed to do. Um, other than that, in addition to being a dancer, I am also a digital content creator, so you could subscribe to my links if you could find them. Um, I also am a cam model on Streamate, and I was a sugar baby for many years, uh, over 10 years ago, and that's kind of how I started in the industry. Um, if you are listening to the show and you are, it's your first time here and you're like, what is this all about? Um, Strip Icea is all about, uh, destigmatizing sex work. And I do that through the power of education and telling people's stories, specifically those who are in the industry. So um, I bring on different guests every single week, uh, to talk about their corner or their niche, um, in the industry. Um, and whether they are talent, they're like on screen, behind the scenes, they're maybe a nonprofit organization that helps benefit sex workers. I really try to bring on a vast number and variety of guests just to properly illustrate what it really is like um, to like live like a day in a life in our shoes. So um, if you've made it this far, which is like one minute in, yay, <laughs> please continue to listen. Um, we have a fantastic guest on today who I'll be introducing shortly. We will be talking about the fictional media representation of sex workers and how that may have evolved over the years. I think it has, um, but I'm sure that she will have lots of opinions for us today. But before we dive into that, I just wanted to say hello and thank you to all the lovely Patreon subscribers. Um, thank you so much. Um, if you don't know, I do have a Patreon um, just because people are like, where can I send donations? Your podcast is lovely and it's a really great resource and blah, blah, blah. Like I used it to help me get into the industry and prepare myself and whatnot. So I started Patreon so it could help uh, fund the show in terms of funding my website, in terms of hosting. Uh, it can also help me go to industry-related events uh, across America. So 
that has been great. Um, you can visit and and uh, subscribe if you're inclined to do so, starting at $4 a month at patreon.com slash stripedbysia. And members do get some exclusive features, including bonus episodes that are never heard before, never released to the public, um, including a lot of my guest lectures, um, keynote speak uh, speeches, and some other behind-the-scenes stuff like that. So me at the AVNs or me at Expos and stuff like that. So it is kind of fun. So you could check it out. And also, if you are on the top tier, you also get a little band recognition shout out. So I'm just going to go ahead and list those people out because there are a, a bunch of you here. So I just want to say hello to Red Door Products, Dan uh, from Seattle. Also, it's so nice to meet you finally in person, Dan. So lovely. Um, we also have McKenna King from Edmonton, Canada. B. York, also from Seattle. We've got Eric Araujo. We got Moxie Mayhem, Selena Money, Geyser, uh, Justin Erickson from Vancouver, Washington, and Snoo Snoo, all the way from Germany. So, thank you guys um, so much for your support. Uh, some of you have been here since day one, which has been awesome and truly mind blowing and humbling. So, thank you very much, very much from the bottom of my heart. Um, other than that, um, we're just going to jump right into the things. And also, if you are a longtime listener and you haven't liked and like rated and reviewed the show, now is probably a good time. You can do that on Apple or Spotify. Um, I do read all the reviews, whether good or bad. Um, but it really helps uh, other folks find the show as well in terms of discoverability. So please do that right now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, as I mentioned, I would love to bring on our lovely guest today. Um, she goes by the name Katarina Quinn, and she is a New York City-based uh, full-service sex worker, also a writer, and is also the contributor to the Petite Mort magazine as their media writer. So I would love to um, give her a warm welcome. So hello, Katarina, are you there? I am good. As uh, you might know, before um, we started recording, you'll know that I'm still sick, but I am doing okay. <laughs> I'm doing all right, and I hope you're doing okay as well. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to, to chat with me today. Yeah, I'm super stoked. I mean, I know a little bit about you from what I saw on your website, your, your Twitter slash X, um, but I also really think it's important um, for myself to give space to all of my guests. So I usually throw the mic back to all of my guests so they can give themselves their own kind of introduction for anything that I might have missed or maybe some things I can't find on the internet. But um, yeah, I'm going to throw it back to you. So please tell us who you are in your own words and terms. Yeah. Um, so I uh, grew up in the Midwest, came out to New York for school, um, also spent quite a few years as a sugar baby um, before I took on this name and form. Um, excited to be writing with uh, Petite Moore, and I obviously do a lot of uh, thinking and writing about representation, specifically of sex workers in fictional media. Um, and I, I also do think that the representation has been improving lately, so it's good to see. Yeah, no, totally. And like, I haven't done an episode like this in a long time. And even the episodes I have done, like I just did some bonus episodes on like P-Valley, Hustlers, um, stuff in like journalism and stuff as well. So um, it's really great to kind of revisit this topic in a completely different angle. Um, 
and I'm really excited to have some fun in our conversation today over the next hour. Um, but before we kind of get into the meat and bones of the episode, I want to introduce the audience to Katarina Quinn as well. Um, so I know a lot of people are always interested on people's origin stories or how they got into the industry. So if you don't mind sharing, I'd love for you to go into that if you'd like. Yeah, I um, so I I did uh, work in media for for a time during and post college. Um, quit one of those jobs at around the same time that I broke up with uh, my college boyfriend, and knew a few people who were sugar babies. Um, had to pay the rent while I figured out what to do, and just kind of fell into it and ended up, you know, enjoying having the free time to work on my own writing and kind of figure out my life as someone in their mid-20s. And so here I still am. There you go. And you mentioned you're also a sugar baby too. Was that like your your entry point into the industry? Yeah. Good old seeking arrangement. Oh my gosh. I'm traumatized (laughs) by that place. (laughs) Good old seeking arrangement. I hope it was hopefully better in New York City rather than Vancouver. So I, I feel like know, it would be. I think probably better paid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Don't even talk to me about that. <laughs> yeah. But it is like pe- people think that um, like escorting is going to be like such a crazy experience, but so many crazier things happened to me when I was sugaring. <laughs> Than in than in this current iteration of my life, so right. Oh my god, that place was crazy. Seeking arrangement days. Like I haven't done an episode on sugaring just because I feel like (laughs) I have very strong opinions, and I'm just like, one day I'll do it. Like one day I will make an episode on that. But we're we're all (sighs) we're all traumatized by it. (laughs) (laughs) Like I mean, for your experience, like did did you like even? have the maturity level in terms of like actually viewing it as work because I know coming from experience like I did not I was like nope I had like this whole horophobia thing back in the day and I was like no this is I'm not a prostitute or I'm not this uh, I'm a sugar baby and that's different and I'm like girl <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I think I think when I started um I, I did kind of have this thing where I was like, well, I was going on all of these bad Tinder dates mm-hmm. and now I just go on bad dates that also pay my rent. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I did. I knew people who were in the industry in various ways when I started doing it. So I didn't I didn't start out with that kind of internalized horophobia. Um, kind of knew kind of knew what it was from the start. So. Mm, that's good I'm glad glad to hear that that is lucky because like oh my gosh it was a journey I'll say Mm. that (laughs) and um before we move on to other topics um how did you uh kind of transition in from sugaring to independent escorting um so through through my life sugaring I I knew like a couple people who graduated um and we're always going on about, you know, better quality of clients, like mm-hmm. 
better better pay. Better pay, yeah. <laughs> and I I think it does kind of translate to something about your internal sense of self-worth. Like on seeking arrangements, these men are trying to pay you as little as possible, constantly trying to bargain with you, not giving you what you want. And the fact that with this it's just no questions, no bargains. Either you either you pay it or you don't. Um I think that that has that difference I think really does kind of affect how you relate your self-worth to the job oh absolutely and and I'm hoping like you know for those who are listening hopefully you do get to a point where you do realize your self-worth no matter like where you are um in this career I hope it's sooner rather than later because I uh, could be lots of time that's lost um money also that's also lost and you can you yourself can kind of get lost in this industry as well so um it's it's hard when you kind of don't have that or don't have that kind of self self value for yourself too so yeah i mean other than that um in addition to your sex work you're also a writer as well um how did you get into that was that something that you studied in school as well or no, I've uh, I wrote my first short story when I was I think eight years old. Um, so I have a a novel knocking around in my computer, um, a TV pilot that's actually about sex work. Um, yes. So yeah, it's just something I've been doing my whole life. I've always been a big reader too. So um, storytelling, I think, is really important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I guess like with both this kind of quote-unquote vanilla work and also like your spicy work in terms of sex work it's really cool to see those two worlds kind of colliding and merging together um which we will definitely be talking about uh shortly as well so i know that you've come forward this um for this day talking about a few specific um I guess, media, like movies um, and shows that ha- have been very, very popular, including like Sex in the City. We have The Menu that was super popular, uh, White Lotus, and most recently, Poor Things. So I don't know where you want to get started <laughs> with that yeah. or something, maybe a, a brief overview or something, however you want to take it. Um, yeah, well, so these are, these are the things I've, um, specifically written about that you can find on Petite Mort's blog. Um, and I do think that, uh, recently representation has been getting a lot better. If you go back to something like Sex in the City and look at the way sex workers are represented, it's, uh, either an episode where, um, Samantha is like yelling profanity at the trans sex workers who are outside of her apartment or it's um, Carrie being absolutely horrified when a man leaves her a thousand dollars on the hotel nightstand. (laughs) She's very happy to order room service on his bill. But if she's if she thinks that he thinks she's a whore, quote unquote, um, that's some kind of major problem. Totally. So totally. it's um, there's a lot of a lot of horophobia in that representation. Um, yeah. Samantha actually has a 
a pretty good view of it, which is not surprising. She was always the best character. She was the best. Let's be real. Yeah. We all pretended that we wanted to be Samantha, right? <laughs> Everyone wants to be a Samantha. Everyone does. Yeah. Because why would you want to be the other one? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, yeah. But, why don't we Why don't we start off with Sex in the City? Because that, I mean, yeah. that goes. That's like probably the oldest one in in the four media depictions that yes. we're going to be talking about. Um, and it was also a different time. It was a very different time, like back yes. in the nineties. So. Yeah, and and if you uh, if you look at the the new show, they they've done a oh lot of work in the not always good work, <laughs> but a lot of work in the writing to try and be like, ah, we're correcting the errors of our ways. Oh um, which hey, it's at least good to see them try. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see them try. I have opinions. I. Let, let's start in the beginning. Let's, let's start with older Sex in the City, seasons one through six, maybe going to the movies or something. But as you mentioned, you were already kind of lightly talking about it. But it was um, a sign of the times. And I think that's important to mention as well because it, it was a different time back then, even though it wasn't that long ago. That was like maybe 30 years ago or so, 30-ish years ago. But a lot has changed. Um I will offer a couple points. Um, I know you will have lots more to say, but I feel like back in the 90s, sex work was very much taboo and and something for folks to be ashamed of. Um, it was almost like a don't ask, don't tell. This is this is something that you do. It is uh, and was something that you don't take pride upon. And that was reflected in the movies. And um, at least from what I remember, like, sex workers were never seen as respectful human beings or people that didn't respect themselves and they would maybe, you know, participate in, um, you know, alcoholism and substance abuse and all these negative stereotypes, which still ring true to this day, unfortunately, and have seeped into uh, society as well. But uh, what what's your take on that too, in terms of like talking about um, fictional representation, uh, fictional media representation of sex workers, like back during that era. Yeah, it it's all very stereotypical, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. All of the representations are either um, an uh, a high volume outdoor worker um, who's also often uh, depicted as black, um, mm-hmm. and that's either someone who has been exploited into it and feels deep shame. Or someone who is just, like, a shameless hedonist um, and usually a villain. Um, And then uh, the other end of the spectrum is the low-volume indoor worker who is, like, usually white and from the upper middle class. Um, And there's no in-between, you know? There's no nuance to the situation it's either um survival like near poverty work or it's um a beautiful model living a lavish lifestyle and that's the only representation you get back then you know um and also everyone's end goal has to be to leave right yeah everyone's end goal is to leave that is a really good point to make um, also goes along with like um, saviorism yes. too that really really goes hand in hand and the whole like 
I mean, when you see like trafficking uh, campaigns and stuff too, it's always like they need to be saved and everyone is trafficked and exploited yeah. and stuff too. It's... When frequently when they have these trafficking busts, um, not a single client is going to jail, but a lot of sex workers are. Right, which is super, super backwards to yep. me. Super, ugh, which is not, not great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, with this kind of framework in mind uh, and bringing this into life, because I think it, it's important to, when you're analyzing media, you kind of have to have that kind of context and understand um, the time um, that was made, the culture around that time as well. Um, so bringing this back into like Sex in the City, I and mean, you were already kind of mentioning how it was like before. And I mean, back in the day, I feel like, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't turn the other way. <laughs> like that was very much normalized back in the day, and and our attitudes towards sex workers were that they were negative. Um, but going throughout the seasons of Sex and the City and see like the movies and going on to the latest iterations of, um, and I think it's called And Just Like That. It was yeah, uh, it is. <laughs> Did you wanna? Did you wanna go into the the newer version of it now too? Um. Yeah. Well, there's uh. You know, not it's not like perfect. It's not a perfect comparison because they haven't really done anything about sex work in mm-hmm, the new the show. New one. Yeah. Um. But I do think that uh, the way Sex in the City views sex work is very tied into the way that it views sex in general. Mm-hmm. In that, in the original show, Samantha was the only one of them with an actually like liberal view of sex. Like, yeah, the the other girls were shaming her for being a slut all the time. Totally. And Carrie was, you know, so into being a sexually liberated young woman who writes a column about it. But you know, if like any kind of thing they brought up that wasn't vanilla sex once a week was something like terrible and shameful yeah and I think that's very interesting to go back and and watch it and realize how actually prudish of a show it is mm-hmm. and I think the the new show is doing a bit better of a job with that a little bit it's it's more woke like I feel like yeah. <laughs> you know like Sometimes sex in, the city, in a bad way it's sometimes in a bad way. Yes, I agree. I have thoughts about that too. <laughs> I, I mean, like myself, like as a teenager watching Sex and City, it was like something like I idolized. I'm like, I love this show. And then um, like I'm in my 30s now and re-watching it again to be like, oh my gosh, like why are we trying to put Carrie on a pedestal here when she's like in this completely toxic relationship was big and like why are we trying to champion that it's so terrible (laughs) yeah and she's the the show's supposed to be about you know female friendship and she's a terrible Mm -hmm. friend she chooses big over her friends all the time (laughs) which is super frustrating (laughs) it's no good I mean I I like I still like like to watch it if it's on it's like okay let's let's just like partake in it um, yeah. But the, the new one, I couldn't really sit through. I think I watched a few episodes and it was like 
it was too woke for me. Like they were trying yeah. so hard to freaking cover everything in there. And then like, I don't know, there's so many uncharacteristic things that I just don't think would have happened in the original show. And I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the writing is really not great. And from what I knew of the first season, at least, um, three of the writers who wrote the last few seasons of sex in the city, which people didn't love on average, Three of those writers wrote the majority of the episodes of the first season of And Just Like That. So oh. how, how are you supposed to update something if you're not updating the creative staff on it, right? Right. That's a good uh, point to make for sure. Yeah. I mean, we could probably do an entire episode on Sex and the City, Katarina. <laughs> <laughs> Keep telling we you fired up. We both have thoughts. <laughs> we both have thoughts. <laughs> I mean, moving along with this too, um, you also wrote about, I'm like trying to go in chronological order here, I guess, is the menu next or is White Lotus next? Um, Maybe it's White I, Lotus. I think, yeah, I think or, they came out in the same year, so I couldn't, Yeah, I couldn't say to be sure, but I did have um, very different opinions about, uh, about those two shows. Sure. Yeah, whichever um, one you want to go into first <laughs> yeah i i i found the menus uh representation to be very good actually Me too. um i like that it she th so there there is an escort who's the main character but yes. it's not the topic of the movie you know it's right. not like the most important aspect of her character or anything mm -hmm. um but it is also you know her job skills that really get her through the film yes and i love anything that that reverses the trope of it's always a sex worker that dies yes i was just gonna bring that up oh my gosh we're on the same page <laughs> it's, and it's it's a complete flip-flop she's the only one that lives and i love that so much um and yeah just the fact that she's like represented as a real person and i also liked how how clear the the film was in saying that like sex workers to some extent are service workers um oh, yeah. but service workers who masquerade as the people that they are serving um right. that's a really interesting approach yeah and the the chef constantly needing her to choose like between the upper class that she's pretending to be and the service workers that she is maybe more like actually mm -hmm. is I thought that was I thought that was very cool very interesting yeah it's very clever I, I was uh very entertained when the menu came out for a number of reasons first of all I thought it was cleverly written um I love like a dark comedy like that yeah. too um Anya Teller-Joy is a fantastic actress and plus you weave all the food porn that's in there too so it's just uh. like Oh my gosh, I love the burger. This. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so good. My but it was like was funny. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was like, I could use one of those right now. <laughs> I was glad it was the end of the movie because then I went and got a burger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people did after the after the movie concluded. Yeah, <laughs> but it was kind of funny too to also see like the very very different stereotypes in terms of people that go into these restaurants, um, and you know. <laughs> As a sugar baby, I went to a lot of those restaurants as well, but also because 
I am a food nerd myself, so it's like, okay, this is great. But I mean, that is, it can be a very, very accurate portrayal of just a glimpse of some of the stuff that we do for our work and a lot of our work um, as uh, escorts or it's basically companionship. Yeah. At the end of the day, a lot of it is companionship. Um, I think I, if I can recall in the movie, the, the guy that was her date, like I think obviously for a lot of these like Michelin-esque star type of um, reservations, you have to prepay and you can't cancel or whatever. Yeah. Or you, have to, you have to buy the ticket in advance and it's like the price of the whole meal. So he had to find like a replacement date to go with, um, yeah. which is how um, she had found herself in that situation, which – you know, can also be a reality for us as well. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, I've definitely been on dates where someone like wanted to try a restaurant and just needed someone to go with. Um, yeah. The best. And dates. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of people have this conception that like sugar babies, because they're, you know, like dating, um, get taken out to like nice restaurants and nice things all the time. But I, I find that happens to me more now, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think, like, um, I mean, that was definitely ring true for me because I was the one choosing the restaurants. I'm like, I, yeah. I want to go to all the places <laughs> I can't afford as uh, a person that just graduated university. Yes. <laughs> which is nice. Yeah, which is definitely really, really nice. So it was really cool to to see that and um really have a humanistic approach as you'd mentioned uh to her character in the film without it parading around the fact like oh she's a sex worker and not and that not being the focus it was really nice to just have her playing a character and that just happened to be her character was that she was a a sex worker and right. not much more attention on that. It was really, I don't know, I guess refreshing in a yeah. way. You know what it's, I mean? It was it was treated like any other job, really. Like, it is a part of your character to some extent, but it's not the primary focus of who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's another great point to make as well because – our jobs, or maybe I'm just speaking from my personal experience, but our jobs, like, it's not what defines me. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I, I don't know, like, about your experience, but sometimes, like, when I'm meeting people for the first time and it comes up in conversation, it's not like I'm, like, parading, hey, like, I'm a sex worker and I do this, 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 <laughs> this for work. But, like, if it naturally comes up in conversation, I'm not one to hide what I do and I'm pretty open and out about it. But um, usually when that does come out in conversation that's like the only thing that people will hear and will focus on and then you just kind of get slapped on with that label which I find really exhausting and infuriating sometimes yeah for sure I I mean I I do to some extent consider myself lucky because like I live in Brooklyn you know if, if you mention in Brooklyn you're a sex worker no one really bats an eye yeah uh, yeah. I'm I'm not gonna get like you know names screamed in my face in most circumstances, which mm-hmm. I think in a lot of places is a concern. Yes. Um, yes. But yeah, even even in Brooklyn, where you know I you've probably everyone in Brooklyn knows someone with an OnlyFans or something, you know. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, totally. But I'm usually the first, you know, in-person worker that someone's met and they do have questions and the questions Uh, tend to kind of take over the, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) tend to kind of take over the conversation. Um, And I've gotten pretty good at steering it around and taking control of it and not letting it kind of settle there for the rest of the time that we're talking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does get it does get tiresome to answer the same questions over and over again. When yeah. I, you know, maybe from now on, I'll just send them this episode of this podcast. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> well, sometimes it's just easier that way. I'm like, here's my link tree. You can find out all the information online if you really, really want to. Like, right. It's it's really exhausting and sometimes like a lot of the questions can be really invasive um Mm -hmm. like or people like sensationalize it in terms of like oh what was the craziest thing that happened to you and like trying to like relive some kind of trauma and I'm like I don't want to go into that with you a stranger like I don't yeah like (laughs) people are people are far too comfortable asking you know if bad things have happened to me on the job Yes. And I'm like, well, have bad things happened to you at your job? Yeah. Is that, a, is that a normal question to ask people off the bat? I know. Well, that's another thing, too, because, like, again, because the nature of our work um, or, like, how people view our work it is so far away. It's so dehumanized mm-hmm. that people just have a blatant disregard for sex workers and they don't view us as people so they feel these questions are completely normal yeah or they're or they're so fascinated by suddenly having an actual human person in front of them who does this thing that has simply been a concept in their mind their whole life yeah i hate those people (laughs) (laughs) it's a lot of that (laughs) yes it is. Sorry. Going back to the menu. <laughs> <laughs> I told you there'd be tangents. <laughs> but it's yes. all in, it's all in uh, topic, though. It's all in topic. Yeah. All yeah. We're, we're on topic. We're doing great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, other than that, like, from what I'm hearing from you, um, and also, like, my own opinion, too, I, I feel that the menu was well done overall as a film, but also um, – in the representation of sex workers. It was just, again, as I mentioned, refreshing to see. So, and you would probably say the same too. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, um, I mean, if outside of the sex work representation, I did like it. I do have some storytelling notes. Oh, (laughs) which I share, which I usually do. Um, yes, I, I just think it could have used, I want some more backstory as to how he actually got to this place and how he got this entire kitchen of people to follow, Mm -hmm. you know, his, his whole cult of personality. Um, This like this end game to it, I find to be an interesting psychological play, but I'm really Mm -hmm. more interested in how it got here. Mm. Yeah. That would have been interesting. Maybe they need to make a prequel. Yes, I would be be interested in that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that would be interesting too because like as a person that actually loves and follows a lot of chefs um, and their journeys too, it it would be kind of fascinating to see how 
one person has gotten there, how that person has um, built up their reputation, how they've built this amazingly crazy restaurant on an island. Like, <laughs> right. And like, Nuts. you know, how psychologically he got to this place. Cause you know, a, a lot of people are victims of capitalism, mm-hmm. but we don't all uh, trap our enemies in a restaurant and burn them to a crisp so. and kill them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the spoiler. everyone. <laughs> The movie's been out long enough. You guys are most Yeah, most I, figure, <laughs> I figure we're fine. Yeah, definitely. What other notes do you have on on menu? Um I think mostly that uh the the characters I do think could could use some more definition, especially the kitchen staff who like there's there's really nothing personal about them at all in no in the movie so i'm i'm just wondering who like who they are and how they got to this place and how you know like we understand chef's motivations but what are theirs Mm -hmm. yeah they're almost like an afterthought yeah i would say and i the the actress who who plays his like second in command is so phenomenal i would have liked to see her have you know like a bit more of a real character to be playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point too. Yeah, no, I never thought about it that way, but no, I'll have to rewatch it after that to uh, after this <laughs> conversation, <laughs> refresh the memory. But yes, she was phenomenal for sure. Yes, yeah, I did. I did watch it a a couple times to really get my analysis down. But totally, and it was it was that good anyways. So <laughs> yeah doesn't hurt so to I'd rewatch. Did not mind rewatching it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe moving on to I guess White Lotus as you mentioned like came out around the same time and I guess in terms of sex work we'd probably be speaking specifically to season 2. Yes. Of White Lotus. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to go into that? Yeah. Um there so there were things about the representation in White Lotus that I didn't mind. I like that um, their friendship is the most important thing to them, um, which it I, I feel like often sex workers are represented as as very competitive and catty. Yes, in the yes. media, and so seeing any kind of friendship between sex workers portrayed, I think, is is just good to see. Um. And I like how they actually used uh, the other characters' saviors, savior complex against them by, like, pretending that they're being oh, exploited yes. by this pimp. Um, yes. That's which, smart. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but there, there were some things, like, even though... Uh, the, the friendship between the two girls... Um, one of whom is is more of a traditional sex worker and the other who is just kind of brought into it by her friend. Yeah. Um, although that is a focus of the show, if you actually look at all of the scenes that they're in, in almost every single one of them, they are discussing sex work, discussing men, um, and not really having any conversations about themselves and, like, their friendship and anything outside of the realm of men and sex work. Um, 
which so it is good to see a friendship between two sex workers but if their entire friendship is about sex work then it's a bit hollow yeah you know is 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 showing actually a good friendship because it seems that it's mostly about sex work yeah like a working friendship that's only focused on that right which is not necessarily a real or great friendship yeah yeah totally um and i i also do think that in the end uh lucia who's the the more traditional sex worker worker. Mm -hmm. um she does scam this yes uh this kid this young guy who is you know depicted to be like a nice good character like kind of like a good a good little a good a good fella yeah um and it is portrayed as if i i don't think that she is necessarily portrayed well for it and mm. i think it is kind of tied into like inherently the fact that she is a sex worker that like this is just like the kind of people who do that or what happens when you do this job for too long is like these are where your moral boundaries lie mm. that's a really interesting take um I have thoughts about that too because, I mean, I'll comment on other things too because you've said so many great statements here too, which I'm super excited about. Um, Talking about the camaraderie aspect, um, yes, I I agree with you. It was so nice to see that. It's like really great because um, I don't know about you, but like the community and the camaraderie that we have in our community is like probably the thing that always like keeps me here. Yeah. because the community is so damn great and yes. I have the best colleagues in the world. So it's like so nice to see that. But um, as you'd mentioned, yes, it, it was kind of like hollow um, on that because like I am not talking about work all the time <laughs> with right. my friends. Like it's nice to bond on that too, but we have lives that are uh, outside of the work yes. that it is that we do, right? So <laughs> I I also have to agree with you on that. Um, coming up on that last point you mentioned about, yes, at the end he scams, as uh, she scams him. Um, again, it's going back into that, oh, here we go. Like sex workers are scammers. It's another hustler's kind of ending kind of thing um, right. <laughs> to the show. And like, I will say, and maybe this is just my own personal observations that I've personally seen here in Vancouver, um, but I don't, I don't, I don't exactly remember how old um, these people were, these characters were in the show, but I do see and witness a lot of that kind of behavior with with younger sex workers. Yeah, at least, at least in dancing, <laughs> and at least in the. <laughs> And some like escorting as well. The friends that I um, did know like way back in the day, but and almost like in a braggy kind of way, similar to what was being displayed. So for myself, there was a bit of truth in that. I just I wish they didn't have to lean in on that because there's so many other different ways to end on the show. But also like it's Hollywood. But at the same time, it's just like 
uh, do you have to portray the sex workers as people that want to scam you out of your money all the time? <laughs> like, right. tiresome. It, it really is. It's This is kind of a, a tough a tough bit of the conversation because, you know, when representation has historically been so bad of sex workers, if you have sex work in your show, I think having good representation is very important, but it's very hard to do real representation if you only have one sex worker in your show because there's, you know, such a breadth of sex workers, just like there's such a breadth of people. So it's it's hard to tell people you know like you can't portray a sex worker as a negative character but i i do think that you have to look at it in a a greater cultural context and say that you know when this has been the way sex workers have traditionally been portrayed and you know that that is a bad portrayal and not the entirety of the community I I do think that you have a a responsibility to some extent to treat it well and clarify like this is not inherent to sex work this is not all sex workers Mm -hmm. and I know that that can be hard to work into something but being a writer is hard (laughs) I can imagine and I don't know anything about the writing world or even for TV writing. I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about that stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it can be tricky. Cause I know like, and I don't, I don't know how much um, these producers and directors uh, bring on consultants. Like I, I know some folks, like I know like for hustlers, they had consulted with um, uh, Jack, the stripper and yeah. some other folks and people in the pole dancing and the stripping world. And I myself have been consulted for a pilot before, um, but I don't know, like, how much of these shows, like, I, I would hope that they would hire some kind of expert or consultant on the show to show what is realistic, um, but at the end of the day, uh, it's kind of up to the director and their vision and what's going to appeal to the masses and what's going to sell, which sucks. Sometimes. Yeah. And I I think sex work also is a thing that people often think they know about or understand when they think they, they know. They think they know. <laughs> <laughs> but they they don't actually really. So a lot of people I don't think would think to hire a consultant. And I also tend to think that um like when hustlers uh something like hustlers advertises quite publicly that they hired these consultants well, then the things about sex work that aren't advertising that they hired consultants, I think, may not have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, – I wish I can re-review that Hustlers episode because <sighs> oh, that was like season one, episode six. And I was like, I have different opinions on that now. <laughs> yeah. Back in the day. <laughs> I mean – do you have any storytelling notes um, for season two of White Lotus as well? or? Oh, I mean, m- my opinion at the end of White Lotus was that the director is far more concerned with aesthetics mm-hmm. than, any kind of, than any kind of storytelling sense. It, right. Like, the 
the sex workers were very one note in it, but so was every character. So, so to some extent, I was like, I don't think it's good representation, but I also just think that is kind of inherent to the writing that mm-hmm. they're doing. Um, I thought that the performances of White Lotus were very good. I did, mm-hmm. the aesthetics were gorgeous. Beautiful. You know, the cinematography was stunning. But yes. I think uh, the characters and the plot needed some work to really feel developed and cohesive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, season three is in the works. Everyone stay tuned. <laughs> this is yeah. not sponsored by White Lotus, but I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see the cast. The cast is I always... know. I'm stoked. Like, I think the theme for the season three is going to be, like, religion, and they're supposed to base it out in Thailand or something. So I'm like, Ooh. oh, I can't wait. <laughs> and, oh, like, which Four those... Seasons Hotel are they going <laughs> to shoot yeah, at? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And some of those temples in Thailand are gorgeous. Gorgeous. They're going to do great things with that cinematography. Yeah, I can't wait whenever that's going to come out. So, (laughs) I mean, going on to the last film, um, and and this one I haven't seen yet, but that's okay. You can spoil things for me if need be. (laughs) I've heard only good things on Twitter, especially uh, about poor things. So please go off. I I loved Poor Things. Um, I saw it three times in theaters, and it got better every time, which that never happens. Right. Movies always get worse the more times yes. you see them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I did not, going into it, I didn't know that there was going to be any representation of sex work. And when sex work shows up in something unexpected me, unexpectedly, I am always on edge. Yeah, like, because more likely, be yeah, more likely than not, it's gonna be bad, and then I'm gonna not like the piece of media I was just enjoying, and it's it's troublesome. But yes, <laughs> this one, I th- I thought was fantastic. It wasn't uh, most of the film; it was a relatively small section. Um, but poor things is a lot about. Um, female sexuality and uh, how men in society and also individual men try to control the sexuality of women, um, when and where women are allowed to be sexual, how they are permitted to use their sexuality to their benefit. And it just used sex work as, you know, one more way of one more way of explicating that because um, it really is like the the one place a man does not have control in, in independent sex work. Um, and the fact that men do so much trying to control women's sexuality in their personal relationships, um, I think extends to sex work as well because suddenly this woman is allowed to benefit from her sexuality. Right. When to a lot of men, women's sexuality is simply something to be controlled. Right. Yeah. That's a really, really good point to make. Can you tell the audience maybe, and also me too, what the con, <laughs> cause I hadn't seen it yet. Um, but like what, um, how was sex work portrayed in this film? Um, so it is uh, 
just to kind of set the stage, it's kind of a uh, a steampunk world, like a late 1800s kind of time period. Um, but with a, a mad scientist who has created this um, Frankenstein type being that is Emma Stone. Oh, um, Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of yes. it's kind of a kind of a Frankenstein, um, but with very different um, themes. <laughs> um, and she uh, goes off on this adventure with uh, with the man that she is with, and they end up in Paris with no money, and she says okay, well, I will find a way to make us money and uh, happens upon a brothel and is offered, you know, a trial gig, a trial run and um, takes it and makes some money and goes back to the guy she was with, proud to have made the money. And he calls her names and uh, screams at her on the street. And this is when she finally splits off from him and goes yeah. back to the brothel and, and works there for a time. Um, and uh, it's it's not glamorized, certainly, which I think is also often Good. an issue in portrayal of sex work is that, yes. you know, it's either something negative and horrifying and traumatizing or it's like this wonderful glamorous life that you get right. to leave with zero that you get to lead with zero consequences Right. And this is portrayed as a job, you know, and it, it shows several of her days on the job and the ups and downs. Um, it very much shows her uh, friendship and relationship with a uh, co-sex worker, which as someone who is also dating a co-sex worker, that was lovely to see on screen. Oh, cool. Um. And uh, later on, when she's um, talking to the the man who wants to marry her, she asks if it um, if it challenges his you know male desire for for ownership. Um, mm. And uh, talks about it as you know something she's not ashamed of, something she did that she you know got tired of and didn't want to do anymore. But that served her well at that time and that she doesn't have regrets about. And she never goes back on that. She never, like, grows shame about it. Um, And it's the, the whole story, since she's kind of a creation, is about, like, someone experiencing society and sexism and herself and her body for you know the first time as a completely unsocialized adult Mm. so I think it's to some extent kind of saying you know without having been socialized to think that it is morally bankrupt to be a sex worker people wouldn't have a problem with it totally wow this sounds awesome this sounds like something I really need to watch. <laughs> it's great work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no wonder people have so many great things to say about it. It sounds really great with messaging too. Yeah. Wow. Super cool. So, so overall, like thoughts on uh, Poor Things sounds like it was well received. 
Yes. Sex work front. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and from, uh, you know, society, it seems. Emma Stone mm. has won some awards for it. Yes. Um, That's correct. So seems to be kind of an awards darling. And to see something like that be popular with the masses, but also popular with critiques of art and not just, you know, critiques of sex work representation in art (laughs) (laughs) Um, is really cool. And I think it is part of a growing trend that is seeing a lot of much better representation and, you know, just social opinion toward sex work and sex workers and kind of our place in society. Wow. Yeah, no, totally. And I'm, I'm glad that's actually a really um, natural transition too to talk about, you know, the impact that, um, you know, the media can have on society, whether it is good or bad, but also like talking about um, kind of like earlier in our conversation, talking about um, sex work representation over the time. So we, we began this episode talking about like sex work in like the late like late 80s, like early 90s, and how those <laughs> attitudes um, have, you know, potentially shifted, I, I think have mostly shifted uh, in general uh, over now into the 2020s, um, and how hopefully, <laughs> again, mostly progressive, I would say, attitudes uh, towards sex work, and you can kind of see that with um, – you know, the normalization of, and I say normalization, but like how like to say like the word OnlyFans is a pretty like normal thing. And, and even as you mentioned, like, oh, like everyone knows someone that has like OnlyFans or everyone knows someone that is like a sex worker too. So yeah. like, it's, it's really revealing um, how those attitudes have shifted um, over time. I, I'd love to hear like your your opinion on that perspective as well, Katarina. Yeah. Um, so I with with media representation in general, it is kind of a chicken or the egg situation. You know, uh-huh. does the <laughs> media representation reflect um, uh, reflect or impact? you know, societal opinion of things. And it's, it's really just, you know, it goes both ways. Totally. I, I do think something uh, that's been happening in more the modern era is, is very interesting. Is this kind of um, focus on, you know, quote unquote wokeness and the fact that we're all being recorded so much of the day and putting so many of our thoughts on the internet, on social media and, and all these different platforms and I, I do think that kind of that can have a, a negative impact up, a uh, negative impact on us in a lot of mm. ways. Okay, but yeah, for sure. I think it also has improved representation in media of a lot of things because the people who make this media don't want people to look back in twenty years and be like, "Oh, this is you know backwards, like this is wrong." Um, so I do think that like people have gotten more careful about the way they represent certain topics in media. Um, I remember when I started watching uh, stand-up specials and stuff, I noticed before a certain year, 
every stand-up special had a joke about sex workers and a joke about trans people. Yes. Yeah. And the joke was just, they exist. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. (laughs) Right. right? And there's, there's never any actual joke behind it. Right. It's just our existence in general is a joke. It's a joke. Right. Um, and you don't see that so much these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that is very true. And I think the fact that, you know, it's so much easier to see people's immediate reactions to things online and see differing opinions from yours and also know that what you're making is going to be online forever and people will dig it up later. I think that is impacting the way people talk about a lot of topics online and in media, recorded media, various types. Um, And I think it's had a a positive influence in the way people talk about sex work. Yeah. I'm really hoping that is a real like permanent shift um, and that people are being more inclusive rather than um, people are avoiding those kind of jokes, jokes in fear of it might um like retaliate on them later on like i'm more hopeful that is it is a good thing with attitudes shifting (laughs) yeah i mean i i do think that um even just to see the joke stop happening is a good thing even if people's reasoning is bad but i do also think that certain things on the internet like you know only fans um, does kind of put it out into the public eye a bit more and brings the conversation up more. So it's not yes. just, you know, people seeing the, the only exposure people have to sex work is seeing these terrible representations in media. Now it's available to us in a lot of different forms across a lot of different platforms. And, you know, it does bring up certain pitfalls like um uh internalized horophobia like people who only do online work really looking down on people who do in-person work yes Um, the hierarchy the hierarchy uh but that it also brings that conversation up you know it brings it into the into the limelight in a certain way that i i think it being discussed and it being a part of the everyday discourse really does normalize it in a positive way. Yeah. Yes. I was just going to say the same thing. We are on the same page with that. Um, yeah, definitely normalize it, normalizes it for sure. And I'm really hoping that this trend will continue um, so that it will be a more uh, wider acceptance of sex work as a chosen career pref- profession Uh, in the future so I'm really hoping that that will just continue and we will one day just you know we will just be seen as oh yeah she's a sex work for work and then we move on to the next conversation and it's just gravy yeah Yeah. (laughs) after that I (laughs) mean I I am glad to not uh be living in an era where it comes up and you get screamed at in a lot of conversations but there is definitely ways people can improve (laughs) Oh, absolutely. For sure. I mean, and I think that is such a great way to kind of end uh, the conversation today to kind of wrap it all up, unless you have a few more things to say as well, Katerina. 
Oh my god. Well, I mean, there is a few more things you have to say. Before we let you go, where can we all find you? <laughs> uh, um, so I am uh, at katerinaquinn.com. You can find me on Twitter at Katerina underscore Quinn or X, I guess it is these days. <laughs> right. <laughs> I decided to dead name Twitter a while ago. <laughs> Twitter um, is like, uh, I have thoughts about that lately it, too. But anyway. It's in the dictionary, so. <laughs> yes, right? It's a thing. <laughs> I trust the dictionary. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, you can always uh, look out for media reviews uh, on petitemort.com. Yeah. Yeah. That's all the things. And all those links are available in the show notes if you haven't clicked on there already. Um, as for everyone else listening at home, it's new episodes every single Sunday dropping at uh, on Sundays at midnight Pacific Standard Time. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, you can easily do that also on Twitter slash X. It's stripped by Sia. Um, on Instagram, it's stripped by Sia Podcast. Uh, we also have my website as well. If you want to pitch yourself to be on the show, um, it is strippedbysia.com. Uh, just click on the contact form and you can go fill in the form there with your pitch. I'm excited to read all of yours. I don't always make it, but I'm happy to work with people and develop an episode together with you. And um, patreon.com uh, slash stripped by C if you want to support the show financially. All the funds, I don't know if I said it earlier, but all the funds help go towards hosting my website and adult industry related events. Um, but yeah, Katarina, it was lovely having you on the show today. This is such a great conversation to have. I'm really glad that we were able to talk about this. Um, and I really need to go watch poor things <laughs> after this. Yes, yes, you do. And yes, also had such a great chat. It's, I think, uh, always important to talk about the way people perceive things. For sure, absolutely. And everyone go give Katarina a like, a follow, um, and all the things there. And yeah, we'll we'll see everyone in for another episode next Sunday. Thank you so much for joining us today, Katarina. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You're listening to Stripped by Sia. Hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia. Music by Ted D. Graphic design by Maria Bellantarama. And photography by Ian Davern.